Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Respectfully Disagree. This is a very special episode because we have a special guest with us today, Shreyana Bhattacharya. Shreyana is an economist and author of a book, Desperately Seeking Shahrukh. It's a book that a lot of us on the team have read recently and absolutely loved. And it decodes what Shah Rukh Khan and the romance of him represents for women across the country. So we thought that there's no one better to sit together and decode heterosexual romance with and try and debate whether heterosexual romance can ever be feminist. So to start off with, let's ask everybody, answer that question with a simple yes or no. Can heteromance be feminist? This is Shrishti, your host, by the way. Hi, I'm Shrayana and I, I think it can be. Uh, but I think we have to redefine our ideas of what romance and love actually means beyond sort of a very consumerist idea of what love and romance should be. Hi, this is Rohita. And I think it isn't a question of so much as is femin- is het romance feminist. It's more like it's not that heterosexual romance is not feminist. I stand somewhere in the middle though. I, I think unsure is how I would answer that question in like one word and a bit of a cop out. But I think to begin with, we need to define like what romance is, which is why I just want to ask the two of you and particularly Shayana, you in the process of writing this book, if you thought about that question while setting out to write that book or in the process and what did you come down to? Like what is romance? I've spent 15 years, you're right. I've spent 15 years, uh, writing the book, uh, but also just in my general life, struggling to understand what love means and what romance means for me. The one thing I have learned, I have no big answers about what romance is. What I do know about it, though, is it's heavily gendered. And that is, it comes through in the fact that we are, you know, women sitting here having this conversation about what romance means, right? I don't see men sitting together uh, talking about this. I see non-binary people talking about what romance is. I see queer communities talking about what romance is. I see women talking about what romance is. It's very sexed and very gendered. And when I say sexed, I mean, you know, the biological notion of, of sex, right? And so that's one thing I have learned, which is that this script of romance almost seems to me through the book I've learned talking to women from very different caste backgrounds, class backgrounds, jobs, religions. Romance is like a tough job for these women, actually. And I know I sound so cynical and so awful, but I'm not actually. I, I, maybe as we move forward, I'll, I'll, I'll discuss the more hopeful aspects of it. Um, Sadly, I think the romance that I have researched and understood is is a job. It is hard labor and it's hard labor that I find women are performing to hold on to a certain kind of status and station. Um, that's I think that's the way I would try and summarize it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. And there's so much that you um, condensed into that and so many insights from your research. Um, There is one question, and I think that's also part of the book about the idea of romance or the fantasy of romance versus the actual experience of romance. So like you say, it is a job to keep the romance alive. But there's this also this notion of what does romance represent for you, right? So I want to ask the two of you about the idea of romance, right? So what was that for you? Were there like you mentioned Yashraj films and Archie comics? So were there particular pop culture associations or these very romantic ideas that you grew up with of like, this is what great love should look like, you know, and this is what ishq, pyar, mohabbat, all of these, you know, loaded words we hear and 
we love to listen to in in bollywood songs did what what are those associations or something that you grew up with srishti i have to now this is where i get really soppy and gooey because of course i think one of my favorite people who writes on love and romance is parumita vora and you know she always writes and says and i really like what she says where she says so much of this romance is also just flights of fantasy right and i was very inspired by that in when i was thinking about the book because what i really wanted to convey was exactly as i said that while in in lived experience romance feels like a job there's also such transformation in it in the idea of it right in in not finding it but seeking it there's a pleasure in seeking this fantasy so the fantasy is obviously extremely pleasurable and you would see in the book even in the most oppressive circumstances we are all daydreaming each one of us you don't need to be between the slums of ahmedabad to the poshest parties in jorbag everyone i've met everyone we know people are always daydreaming and they are daydreaming often of this kind of love um to me i think the idea of when i think of that flight of fantasy and and love of course the first image that is very sharp and clear surprise surprise is you know mr khan his arms wide open uh with always someone in this beautiful chiffon sari but in fact the chiffon sari may not even be necessary but i immediately think of all those songs um i also think of him in tears talking to women and here actually often it's not just his love protagonist but it could be mother sister you know just engaging again i think going back to that idea of what i think romance actually is for me is you know engaging with another person's needs doing that and i i think that really sits in the fantasy for me so there's obviously all that song and dance right and uh, this beautiful man in this beautiful place with you know beautiful women and there's this this charge and it's just so fun it's fun i think fun is part of that fantasy but the other actual reference for me in romance uh, this is where i think the inner nerd will also reveal itself is you know when i was young and obviously this is generational right like what you watch when you grow up i was obsessed with the x files this show which had you know molder and scully this you know two fbi agents who they weren't really in love initially and i think they actually destroyed the plot by actually forcing that kind of relationship on them what i absolutely loved and to me romance was two people doing their job and enjoying each other's professional skills enjoying each other's company if you watch that show actually now i can see it with a much more educated gaze because i'm older i'm like approaching my 40s and i look at it very differently than i did when i was you know my early teens which is when it hit sort of satellite television india and so i think my my notion of romance is really influenced by the soppiness of mr khan's yashraj and also the the later love that he shows women who work with him in a chakde just you know those idioms and images but also uh, these other fairly western shows very disconnected from our context but where i thought men and women were equal they were equally appreciating each other's work they were just getting on with their job it there was a kind of solidarity in that which maybe because we live in such an unequal reality felt very fantastical i agree with most of what you're saying because i think this is also something that we kind of have in common like all of us who have grown up i guess or watched shahrukh khan uh in their formative years or any 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 time in their lives um so there's that obviously uh shahrukh khan and also there's um this trope of best friends 
like falling for each other after a, after a long time um and this is going to sound really cliche but the first example that comes to mind is is Harry Potter like Hermione and Ron and like that <laughs> Shishti just made a face but um that's the that's the example that immediately jumps to mind because like even while i was reading it it was like the slow burn thing uh which was really which is really nice it wasn't like you could understand where it came from but what's common between that and between the sweeping soaring fantasy kind of love uh was also that you go, you don't get to see what happens after it's realized like after the chase is done after the happily ever after like what happens after that like when they get together when they start a life together when they actually like live together whatever you don't you don't see that part of it and then i guess at some point i don't remember exactly when but i started getting a bit disillusioned with this whole especially the idea of marriage and then like uh, in college i was like really uh doing a term paper about why marriage is not feminist and all of that and then came across like these writers uh, who and feminist thinkers who also apparently i mean it's apparently a legit thought is what i discovered then uh where you know there's a feminist named carol smart who said who calls love a patriarchy's ideological armament um through which women became hooked into a dependent relationship with men entered into an unfavorable contract which is marriage and then got saddled with childcare so all of that really deromanticized romance to me <laughs> and now i don't know what uh, i look to in fact so i guess that's a cynical yeah ruta i completely i mean everything that you just said when i started by saying romance has become a job this is precisely you know the theory behind it what you just articulated um there's that wonderful quote also by the great bell hooks where she says sexism decrees that all emotional work is done by women and men are too tired to come do any of the emotional labor they're just too tired to deliver the goods and i think this is where if you go back to that fundamental question of can romance be feminist it can but we need to really redefine the frameworks within these these interactions are taking place and what i mean by that is currently we have and in the in the book i one of the real things i'm really trying i'm very hard I'm, it's it's hard to do but i'm really trying to convey to people who read it is that look the reason why all these women feel so locked into romance as labor right all of this securing a man making sure that man you secured is happy taking care of the children making sure everything at home is beautiful so that again the man and the in-laws are happy is because our economy makes it so difficult for women to just exit so if we live in a world in which we are not equals we are not in terms of asset wealth economic wealth material wealth uh in terms of how much domestic labor men and women are sharing um remember india is in the bottom five when it comes to men helping in housework it's a statistic we should say every day out loud um I think in that environment what kind of love and romance will we have other than is exactly as I think many feminist thinkers have said it's it's oppression. And so I completely agree. Uh Srishi I realize uh, we're not respectfully respectfully disagree we just respectfully <laughs> agree. Uh so I I completely agree with what Rohita just said about feminist thinkers. But having said that maybe one place where I will caveat this is that doesn't surprise me that we want to withdraw. 
but i keep trying to remind myself that actually the project is not to completely withdraw from each other perhaps the project is to help and this is where i think the burden should be placed on men and masculinity but i think the real question is are they engaging with these questions and these needs yeah and like you know all, all of the stuff that you were saying it's it's very it resonates so much and uh, professor jane ward uh, she calls it the tragedy of heterosexuality right and she says that the resem- it's almost like the redemption of heterosexuality lies with men that's why it's a tragedy because the hard work is is uh, has to be done by the women to you know like you call uh, romance a lot of work except um why is this happening it's because of like this unequal power dynamic right uh, but she also says that the way forward isn't to like queer straightness it's all it's for men to be more straight in that um they should put in this is her quote to put their politics where their lust is and to desire women more humanely and i think as you were speaking about sharuk uh that's that's what it represents right the des- like desiring women humanely so it's probably not heterosexuality that is the problem it's probably heteronormativity and you know its intersections with capitalism casteism all of that Rohita I completely let me double down on everything that you just said and in fact in the book this is why I say life is heteronormative hell because I think there is this script of heteronormativity there's a way the meeting game is played which really does favor people with certain privileges be it based on caste and gender and different kinds of scripts having said that I think two things need to happen for us to really exit that this space this very toxic mating game uh into a far more equal romance which is more fun and joyful and fair uh especially if it's still talking about just the romance in that very rigid pair bond sense of the word right like right now if we just stick to that i think one we men have to bear the burden of interrogating their own feelings their own humanity what you just said about humane desire i think masculinity is really struggling and i think men really need to have role models solidarity groups they really need to have to be forced almost to do the hard work of thinking about how masculinity shows up be it emotional hygiene their ways of behavior modes i'm not holding my breath for that to be perfectly honest looking at the way our politics is going um and the second thing that needs to happen where actually i think i have much more faith is women also particularly those with privileges um uh, who don't necessarily need a man to sort of stay afloat um who perhaps are quite stable and independent have to take risks with their lives by also being very open and honest about your own needs um you know when i often find so many women and you'll see this in the book you know you'll stick with a relationship even you know if you're not happy because somehow there's this script of the good woman right that you're still even if you talk a big talk like i know so many women who are extremely progressive but i know in their private lives they struggle and i've been one of them uh in your private lives you struggle to actually then implement a lot of some principles that you would think are you know non-negotiable so i think the the thing that i really think that needs to happen is women need to take some time to articulate for themselves what are your needs uh, are they being acknowledged are you being acknowledged do you really need to be part of this uh, kind of game can you exit it are 
is it really giving you joy if it is giving you joy because some people find tremendous joy in even the sort of games of heteronormativity i know people like that uh you know my friend and i joke they're professional heterosexuals you know they just there's a there's a game and they find great joy in the game but there might be others who don't and and i think women especially those of means should be encouraged to and should also be willing to recognize that by walking out of that market by saying well you know some of the women in the book say to me their standards are as high as sharok right and they're not going to marry anyone unless he's as great as him i mean i don't think they're saying they want some perfect film star i think what they're saying is they want someone who will make them feel loved and they'll be excited about and they are saying well i will own my desires and i will not put up with a lot of rubbish that perhaps my mother had to put up with uh because i have to conform to a certain script of heteronormativity um and i think that's where my hope really lies in changing that game absolutely and i think on that note that's a perfect cue for us to interrogate a little bit of like um what are our feelings on the different aspects of this like heteronormativity games that we play so to speak and how do we actually unpack and put our politics where our lust is to quote rohit to quote the anthropologists in a slightly different context um but let's kind of unpack a little bit and play this game of what we want versus feminism obviously making it more trite for packaging purposes <laughs> but um to start off with what about chivalry do we find that romantic or attractive and is it problematic to find somebody a man opening a door for you or buying you flowers or getting you chocolates wanting to be pampered like a princess would that be problematic firstly do we personally enjoy it so i'll i'll i can start over here i i love it when people buy me flowers i love it when they get me chocolates but i'm very embarrassed when i'm bought flowers in the context of like a date or like if like i i went on a date where this guy turned up with a red rose at a restaurant and i was just like red because i was like oh my god all the waiters are looking at me everybody's looking at me because i have a red rose in my hand and it was so embarrassing um and i couldn't deal with that but i love getting flowers from friends i love getting chocolates from everybody but even opening doors is a bit like is a bit strange i don't know so i i i'm on a slightly different page over there because um like i actually it might be the same because i don't like it if somebody like gets me flowers or something in the context of a date or in a particular context but it has to be like spontaneous i don't know if you're like going on a walk and then there's like flowers you pick a flower or something <laughs> but it's like it's not uh i don't know it's like th- just the thought i feel like that's the that's the important part of it not the not the i i guess what do you call it etiquette but the thought yeah send me gifts everyone i'm more than happy if people send gifts any anyone is welcome to bring gifts at any point i don't mind if people strangers also come to me but you know i'll tell you a funny story and this will relate to it uh, i used to do for the book a lot of research outside manat right so i'd stand outside mr khan's house and there are all these fans who've shown up from bangladesh and thailand and indonesia and you know different parts of maharashtra and all kinds of places all over the country and they would all bring little gifts and token of their love you know they'd like leave but the thing is you can't leave it outside the house because they're not going to let you and also even if you leave it it's just going to disappear so they they would all leave it on the pavements and so on like notes and things like that and so i think to me i really appreciate all that stuff because it tells me that someone has 
you know thought about trying to sort of convey this you know i'll keep going back to this if to me if the idea of romance is generosity and acknowledging another person's humanity i think this is all very lovely because in a way you're just trying to do that right it's a it's a gesture to try and convey that and it could be anything um and so i'm a i'm not a yrf romance type person but if anyone has is partaking in a gesture which is just trying to convey that they've thought about your needs and they would like to make you smile or they would like to make you feel indulged i think that's wonderful um i think the best way honestly people can can really indulge me certainly and i think this is true for a lot of women is uh certainly especially straight men i feel like just you know do the dishes you know go like <laughs> handle the the washing and that stuff right like coordinate the lists for what we're going to cook with like the lovely lady who's our house cook i mean you know do things like that that stuff is like really for me that those are the gifts that really like i get very excited about and especially when men do it without actually telling you it's a gift like it's just something that they learn to almost enjoy to do it's very rare it doesn't happen So yes I'm I'm all for all the indulgences that you just mentioned Srishti uh be it opening doors be it all of that like all the gifts and gestures of just good behavior I'm I'm a sucker for those um and I I, I even if they're like trite and cliche I'm like that's great like whatever do whatever uh but even i think to me like everyday little things right like what i think rohita talked about just the flower being while you're walking on the street but like i think just at home little little things that we can do right just to sort of do the dishes feed the dog things like that i think those are important things as well for me yeah i think we should change what we find romantic i think this valentines day do your valentines dishes and do it throughout the year <laughs> that's what uh, i think we're just pitching a great ad for vim liquid or something won't be surprised if they pick it up from you and then you'll find chakka chak bartan aapke valentine ke liye but anyway that's that's moving a step forward at least but uh, to kind of come back to the game a little bit <laughs> uh let's talk about something else right which uh is about wanting to be complimented on the way you look or dressing up slash dressing sexy for your lover like do you enjoy doing it and do you think that that's problematic while i think i'm all for people complimenting each other you know especially in context where you know each other and there's like a you know relationship there of some kind uh and you know women feeling beautiful and feeling joyous about aesthetics right but at the same time i i i don't want you know our generation of women or younger generation of women to constantly feel burdened and exhausted by this performance of beauty because it is very very tiring it's expensive it's extremely expensive the amount of savings and i mentioned this in one of the chapters in the book how much money uh some women are spending uh and they're burning through their savings i think at a rate that men are not um and i think the solution to that you know sometimes people tell me the solution to that is well men should also be out in gyms and should be as sort of you know obsessive about their bodies i don't know this goes back to that 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 idea that eva elus had right that equality and intimacy can't be that we're both equally behaving and indulging in terrible behaviors but actually it means that we should be moving towards better behaviors together go to the gym to feel healthy you want to feel good, good about your body go ahead but i think uh, that you know each one comes at that very differently you know like how you engage with your own own body and self but i do know that right now we do have a construct where women feel very exhausted and financially burdened by sort of what i call the beauty olympics um 
and i don't think we can get rid of it i think there is it's just too ingrained but i think slowly what we can start to do is uh, perhaps if and this goes back to that thing about masculinity i think if men start to ask themselves and amiya shrinivasan i think everyone should read the book right to sex it's a must read she really gets into this in such beautiful detail because she actually says that you know our desires are so shaped by these modes of what kinds of bodies have more value than others so then we desire those bodies more like say white bodies over you know brown bodies and thin bodies over fat bodies and all those kinds of things and i think what where she ends up and it's a tough thing to do what she says you should take a step back and think very critically about your own desires and choices um and i think men really need to do that but anyway i know you started with a game and we ended up somewhere philosophical so i want to come back but but the i guess what i'm trying to say to you is i think it's great if women spend on you know feeling good about themselves in in whatever way possible but i also think we need to have some discussion with young men and boys about what is desire what is beauty and and how are you sort of imposing that will on women right which is resulting in i think in very bad self esteem and self worth outcomes for women i agree completely with that and it's also it also like resonates a lot with what i wanted to say about this which is that a lot of the time uh we do kind of want to look good or dress up or something but we tell ourselves that it's for ourselves like there's this like pop feminist notion that you know you you dress for yourself you you apply makeup for yourself or like every a lot of these things that are tied to some kind of <clears throat> beauty industrial complex is sold to you as doing it for yourself but then um there's also the pattern that i notice of myself doing it especially if there is somebody to look like uh and then there's this whole thing i think even this feminist uh film critic laura malvi says that um the in popular culture at least the the the, the perception the thing that we are sold is that men derive pleasure from looking and women derive pleasure from being looked at and that dynamic is sort of recreated in real life as well irrespective of what we tell ourselves but then there's also you kind of realize the soup like the the fact that it is a construct and it isn't something innately um what we do when you know you're confronted with a situ- with a situation where you know for example you put in a lot of effort when you're going to meet someone and the and the other person's a guy and like they just show up and like not put in equivalent effort at all and it's very very irritating very off putting also and then it's like clearly it's not just to be looked at but also to look and i guess that is something that complicates things a little bit because on the one hand you do sort of conform to this expectation that isn't exactly a hundred percent feminist but then it kind of clashes also with your feminism so i there's like some kind of tension there i think yeah you know i just want to say one thing and i know that we're playing a game so therefore we use is it feminist or not i mean we all know i think all all three of us know feminism is not a it's not a label or a box it's a practice it's an everyday practice it's a movement I think beauty is also an everyday practice and movement. It can be different things, right? Like you can find beauty in the natural world, you can find beauty in um in yourself, you can find beauty anywhere. Um and so to me I think what's really important and I'll keep going back to this and I realize I sound like a bit of a mindfulness guru and I'm not sort of, you know, I I'm not, I don't I don't support that that sort of 
that complex of industry but i do think what all of this really does come down to i'm a big believer in this and i i wrote the book also in a certain way to try and communicate this honestly for myself which is i think we just need to sit very closely with our preferences we all need to sit in a room by ourselves or wherever by ourselves and ask ourselves you know the man that we think is so desirable or the woman that whose body we're so jealous of or you know all these things what is that telling us about us and are we actually feeling some of the things that we're feeling or are we just feeling them because there's a currency that is this market economy of bodies and beauties and mating has taught us to feel and we've just you know consumed that language hook line and sinker because the one thing i'm also very worried about is i notice this in a lot of young women i don't write about it in the book but i encountered it a lot especially sort of you know girls who are teenagers now or in their very early 20s just reaching their 20s which is i notice that there's a lot of um, guilt about behaving a certain way but then feeling something else and then being confused so for example you know you will retweet and you are a feminist at a very young you know now these language especially amongst the elite english speaking women these this language has pervaded everywhere you know this sort of uh, there's a kind of feminism we all believe in we're retweeting we're we're on social media and yet in our private behaviors you know the things that you just in fact through this games rishi asked us right like we do want to be indulged we want a certain kind of man as well and i don't want to judge anyone for what their preferences are but i think girls feel so it's an extra burden now because they feel like they also need to perform to be a certain kind of feminist right like a live a certain life but i think if we start to tell everyone no feminism is a practice it's a movement it's not like a set of attributes and then tick 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 you're a feminist right as a nahi hai uh you and all of us will go through this journey of you know that living that life to me feminism is nothing but self awareness and generosity and to me that is exactly what beauty and romance are as well and there should be no contradiction between them because if you just accept yourself then you'll be okay with those irrespective you will make terrible decisions you will make bad choices all of us do that's the fun of life actually um and that's okay and uh, but i think we just need to be a bit more generous and 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 which is why i think for younger women i just feel like it's okay to make to desire things that may not seem politically okay sometimes because ask yourself just sit with yourself and ask yourself why are you feeling this way and i think perhaps self reflection and self awareness is uh, the best kind of romance and feminism absolutely and i think that dissonance is so real and i think i mean not just for uh, uh like you said teenagers or or people in their early 20s but i think even for our generation and you know this this need to identify a certain way and then actually the difference between the personal that you're playing out as political versus the personal that you're actually in like there's a new kind of bifurcation which like you said we all need to like sit with our preferences think it through and kind of instead of feeling guilty about some of those divisions maybe being more self reflective more honest about them with ourselves and with others um and on that note the last kind of question for us to think through which might lead us to a whole other discussion but what about wanting a long term uh, stable relationship that's uh, quote unquote exclusive so basically a monogamous relationship uh, with a man which often like like we were also discussing at the beginning is sort of like the end goal of the romance right it ends at the instagram pictures of the shaadi and <laughs> what not i think i was just discussing with someone you might get married even if you don't want it to just put it on instagram <laughs> to just put pictures of your wedding on instagram but uh, what about wanting like this is 
how do you look at that choice and how do you unpack that choice is it something that you wanted is it something that you've wanted in the past but now don't want anymore how how do you think through this idea and and how do we interrogate it in the context of looking at our personal choices more closely you know i i okay so i think these choices are very structured by where you are like living so if i lived in paris um and even if i wanted a child i think as a single mother i could be with an income that i would potentially have given my education and of course all of this right like structured by privilege structured by place all of those things i think i would perhaps live a life of you know adventurous monogamous relationships but i don't think i would sort of be out for marriage i think the reason why many of us are socialized also into believing that marriage is a very important way of living is because it really structures women's access to public life and just public assets and resources in countries like ours right so i live in delhi and i can tell you being unmarried i keep saying this again and again finding a house itself is just such a pain that you know uh, someone once joked with me they said well we should just get married for someone's house like this is and and i don't think she was joking per se she was she was very enamored by someone's house that she had seen someone i know um and and she said well maybe i should marry him for the house um and these are you know decisions people are making so i i think as for uh, you know when it comes to sort of long term partnerships i i'm a realist when it comes to a lot of these things and i think each relationship works on whatever trade offs and agreements both parties agree to um um and i think but the thing is you can only have these agreements and these negotiations when you're both relatively equal right or you feel like your needs are equally acknowledged uh sometimes i find with the way marriage is structured at least and what i see with my mother's generation i think is changing a bit with our generation but it still exists i think it's very much structured where women are often compromising and doing a lot more than i think men are um i'd like to see that change i think it has changed a bit in pockets and i'm hopeful um so i i think for me i've i've sort of always felt that long term short term it doesn't really matter i think i'm somewhat as i said a realist and i will go with the flow of whatever relationship i'm in and how i'm feeling at that point of time but i i don't expect anyone to sort of you know make that promise that raj made to simran right like forever and ever i think that's i'm far too pragmatic and i've studied economics like i i know too much about like incentive theory to just believe any of that um but i also think a lot of this has to do with child rearing right like because you know in certain societies given the way access to child care and being a single woman allows you to be um if you want children i think being a single woman and this is why i mentioned paris as a single woman if i wanted a child it's possible to raise a kid in certain contexts it's much harder in contexts like ours and so i can understand how within that context people would want to have a pair bond and raise the child in that pair bond because they really derive a lot of joy and meaning out of child rearing i'm not very sort of big on children for myself so i think as a consequence i'm quite free from that uh, i think the, the the sort of what i call the tyranny of marriage but i can i understand fully that the tyranny of marriage is very joyful for some as well and i have no i don't have a very strong view on it i guess is what i'm trying to say at the end of this discourse rohita you know so i don't know for me it's like um i feel like long like wanting a long term commitment can be something like a very natural thing for a lot of people where i mean it's just this innate desire to have somebody that you can trust for a long time you can trust 
with your life you can sort of depend on and have them depend on you it's like the mutual reciprocity but where this problem comes in is with the institutions that uh, we impose upon that commitment which is marriage right and not just marriage i think i mean also caste endogamy and just homogeneity in that sense um, in every other sense except sexuality i guess um like you know so and when you look at things like uh, satya shodak marriages or self respect marriages that the premise is on reciprocity on equality it's two people getting together uh, committing for, to each other for life but based on uh, you know a principle of a promise to mutually respect each other at all times to always ha- be maybe make it a relationship of equals um so and in that sense it is it can be subversive and you know it i think marriage is the problem caste is the problem religion is the problem and it, also in a in a in a context now where interfaith religion is also such a such a politically charged thing and you know for so many people it's life or death and you know pers- persisting and persevering in holding on to somebody against all of like the entire might of the state kind of descending upon you to prevent this from happening is very powerful and is very subversive and something to really believe in so i guess in in what i'm trying to say is that um the commitment aspect of it is problematic when we look at arranged casting endogamous marriages in that very traditional sense in which they happen but not the idea of commitment itself even if it is between um in a straight partnership it 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 is interesting to reflect on that but from that i do have a question about where do you think the skewed power dynamics come from like if we interrogate the heterosexual aspect of heterosexual romance would they be different in dynamics in same sex relationships for example or um in queer relationships or is there an inherent power imbalance between a man and a woman in a heterosexual romantic relationship um i'm sure rohita will have more to say but i i have a couple of things i think what to me what's really diff- what's very critical i think in sort of this male female pair bond is the patriarchy of the body right some people who study um feminist theorists on public health and the body will say fundamentally women are child bearing bodies and that has a huge implication on uh especially in societies that adhere to caste systems and caste roles um how much you can access the public world what your core job within the pair bond is because i think there is a script that women in the pair bond are supposed to be child bearers and carers um whereas men i think have a greater sort of access to freedom and public space because the world outside is supposed to be for them so i i do think that that is a very important difference we need to acknowledge between sort of straight pair bonds and other kinds of pair bonds that might exist because i think there is the patriarchy of the body just women's bodies and what they're supposed to be doing and what they're supposed to be used for and the fact that then women's time and energy tends to just be largely consumed with those roles and you'll see it even in the most progressive couples i can bet you this and i've done this so many times you just sit uh, in a person's house and you'll see how quickly it's women who will just be you know collecting the dishes moving into the kitchen it's just seamless it's so socialized and i think it'll take time for things to change and so i think to me that's very acute in same which i don't see 
I mean, I haven't studied same-sex relationships, but the same-sex relationships that I know, those very traditional norms, they don't immediately fall into them. Um, I, I think there's a different kind, different kind of balance and balance there. Yeah, and just to also add to that, I think like capitalism, heterosexuality and patriarchy and the family and all of that are just like this inextricable mush. I mean, it's been going on for so long where you kind of can't have one without the other, at least heteronormativity and uh, compulsory heterosexuality, like a lot of feminists have called it. Uh, where, I mean, it's like you said, patriarchy of the body, uh, reproducing children, not only children, but also reproducing labor, labor powers. So, I mean, the difference or uh, the separation between the public and private and then women confined to the private sphere, reproducing labor power, all of that stuff, uh, just entrenched this power dynamic further and further between men and women uh, to the point where we it's difficult to even imagine uh, what it would look like realistically uh, in real life uh, to, to kind of extricate ourselves from that because it would also mean extricating ourselves from capitalism in a sense, the logic of capitalism and the uh, all of that. So, and it's been going on for like decades, right? Like in the 80s, Adrian Rich in an in an essay called um, "Compulsory Heterosexuality and Lesbian Existence," she calls she critiques capitalism and pop culture and all of that to say that it they convinced women that their sexual orientation towards men is inevitable, even if sexual heterosexuality is an unsatisfying or oppressive component of their lives, and it's it's almost like this coercive apparatus. We, we see so much of it, it's imposed on us. There's very little else that a lot of people know. Um, so, I mean, it kind of does feel inevitable and people do, I guess, feel stuck in this uh, unequal power dynamic and it's been going on for way too long. Yeah, but let me inject a little bit of hope. I, I know I can, I can sense where Ruita is coming from. Um but I also see so much buoyancy in in our in young people in India everywhere I go. While I know that for a large number of people, this is sort of something, these are institutions you feel like you're socialized into accepting. I think there's a lot of churn going on. And I, I think if if sociologists and anthropologists who start to study this churn come back with sort of reports from the field, I'm very interested in those stories. Because I do think that there's a lot that is just is changing. I mean, you know, one of the things I learned when I was doing research for my book is so many women have negotiated singledom within marriage. Uh, I mean, it sounds very odd. And then they have relationships with, you know, some with other women, some with other men. I mean, it's it, it, these are very fluid ways of living your life. Um, and I think they're happening across the board. So I, I think what there's that quote by uh, W.H. Auden, right? Uh, I use it in the book, which is as long as the self can say, I, I will always rebel. And I think as long as there's this feeling of, you know, stymied desires or feeling suffocated in institutions, there will be people who will be interrogating them. So while I hear you, Rohita, and I know even the way you said it, like, I don't know, you know, use the word being feeling stuck. 
I I feel stuck too, but I also feel very hopeful, and I feel hopeful particularly because all the stories that I have seen and I covered, at least for the book, give me a tremendous amount of hope that when women start to actually voice their desires, at least the women in the book, and even men, this is true. You know, this should be true across the board for anyone. It's just that for the book, I've studied women. When they start to speak their desires and stand up for them, really remarkable things start to shift slowly and steadily within them, and then within around them. And I really am a believer. I think social change is incremental; it it will compound over a long period of time. We are a very different women than our, I think, mothers' generations were when it comes to heterosexuality, love, all of these things. The way we understand the market society around us, and so I'm very hopeful for the future. um given all the sort of worrying signs that we see in our politics but i i still choose to be somewhat hopeful that there are people interrogating the way we're living after that i i i guess i am a lot more hopeful <laughs> about um about whether heterosexual romance can be feminist and yeah so i guess i've changed my position on that slightly <laughs> Oh wow we come out with hope who would have thought in 2022 <laughs> we are here feeling hopeful um and on that note how can we forget the best way to express love in a hetero relationship is by doing your partner's dishes doing the dishes for the household that's the new way that's the new red rose you know so i think let's yes, redefine no, that no more rose day let's have dish day and <laughs> uh, and and you know i i i i highly highly encourage everyone to really just think a little bit about that that balance of labor and to all of our listeners if you haven't already read Desperately seeking Sharuk Rohita and I have and a lot of our friends are reading the book and we strongly recommend that you pick it up and think through some of these ideas of romance Sharuk Khan and what does romance longing intimacy loneliness what does this really mean to indian women across the spectrum and what does it really mean to be a woman in india today This podcast is brought to you by TS Studios the production company that brings the swaddle's creative point of view to original podcasts and films. 